Our sermon series continues of the image of God. We've been looking at ancient texts and the promise that we are all made in the image of God. And our biblical forefathers and mothers certainly had their own challenges of living into that, as we do as well. So this is part of the sermon series Imago Day. And with that, please join me in prayer. Holy One, we pray for you to settle our hearts and minds so we might hear your truth. Bless this reading from your holy word and the meditation that we may grow in confidence to live the precious and holy lives that you desire. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a people whose lives were threatened with extinction. You see, there were marauders that were terrorizing them from other tribes. They were insecure economically. They were scattered across a land as a people, so they didn't have any cohesive might, and they were unable to keep themselves centered in God. This is an old story. It's one of the very oldest stories in scripture, and it comes to us from the book of Samuel, and it's how Samuel opens a story of the launch of the Davidic monarchy. So listen as I read from portions of it. There was a man named Elkanah. He had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other one was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, when Elkanah would go to make his sacrifice in Shiloh, he would give portions of his portions of the sacrifice to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. And to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. That irritated Peninnah. Hannah's rival used to bully her in all sorts of ways. One year at the feast, Hannah wept. Her husband said to her, why do you weep? Why is your heart sad? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? Hannah got up and left to pray. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat in the temple and he watched and he listened. Hannah continued to weep bitterly. She was distressed and she prayed. Hannah made this vow, O Lord, O Lord, look on the misery of your servant and remember me and give me a male child and I will set him before you until the end of his days. He will be yours for a lifetime. As she continued to pray, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently and only her lips moved. So Eli thought she was drunk. Eli asked her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. And Hannah answered, no, I am deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I have been pouring my soul out to the Lord. Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your request. Early the next morning, the entire family rose and worshiped before the Lord. They went back to their home in Ramanah, or pardon me, Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The following year, Elkanah and his whole household went up to offer the Lord the sacrifice and to pay the vow. But Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him and leave him there forever. Such is the story of a woman's hope. In the face of bullies and what others say is impossible, 
It often takes much more than just courage to stay true to yourself. It takes hope born from God's divine image planted deep inside. Other women give birth to hope. Two years ago, at the age of 79, pardon me, 73 and a half, those six months were important, 73 and a half, the Reverend Nancy Jo Kemper decided to run for Congress in the 6th District of Kentucky. As I read her story, I realized that she graduated from Divinity School just a few years after I was born, and I think I'm too old to start such things in this time of life. So why would a grandmother nearly retired jump into politics in a state that runs decidedly more red each and every year? She describes that what began as an ambiguous idea became an urgent call. So when she announced her plan, she was met with nothing but stunned silence. The former mayor of Lexington, who was a friend, bluntly told her, you will lose. And the soon-to-be former Lieutenant Governor also warned her that the race would exhaust her physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But Kemper was not clinging to a false hope, but believed a truth that was part, that this was part of her lifelong calling to help mend lives that are torn apart, and she knew she needed to try. Throughout the race, many young adults thanked her for running. They said that they made her, them feel for once that politics could be decent because she didn't engage in any negative advertising, but her word got out. In two other districts that year, novice Democrats also ran against incumbent Republicans, and they were trounced by more than 60 points. Kemper also lost, but by only 22 points. And the day she returned to church, the sanctuary was filled with Democrats and Republicans, members and non-members, and they all stood with a standing ovation for what she did. Kemper believes that our future depends upon our image of God. Many seem to think that God is in the protection business, offering a shield against accident, illness, or evil, but inevitably, any one of those three or all of them might befall you, and then you're bereft, not standing on any solid ground on which to stand if that's all you think God is for. Kemper's vision of God is a divine power that is in the relationship business. God is standing alongside us in good times and in terrible sorrows. And she writes, the love that emanates from God and resonates deep within us will enable us to stand on our feet again, to be resurrected with hope, and trust in tomorrow. Confident in God's presence, she mustered the courage to do and be more than what anyone thought was possible. And although she lost the race, she released a seed of hope in a community that was deeply divided, but now has been inspired to think about a new future. In the crowd of the Old Testament, rarely are women profiled so when we heard Hannah's stories, we should be immediately startled, just like any other reader of scripture, to know that God is about to turn God's relationship with Israel and turn it for the better. In the ancient Near East, a woman's value depended upon her ability to bear children and most importantly, a son. Producing a male to apprentice his father's work increased the family income, and it was a son that provided a woman her only hope 
if and when her husband died. That's the only hope she would have. The bullying Hannah endures from her husband's other fertile wife stings as a constant reminder of her failure and her fragile future. And given what transpires, we can only imagine that Hannah deeply desires in her heart to give birth to a child and to nurture an infant. Heaping upon all of this hurt is her husband's comment, you have me, isn't that better than 10 sons? It reeks of insensitivity that's almost as biting as the other woman's bullying. He doesn't get it either. When Hannah flees their taunts to pray at the temple, she has fallen to her most vulnerable point, and it's in loneliness and despair that she pours out her heart to God. From bitter anguish, her prayer turns to promise her womb, her life, and her offspring to always be in service to God's plan. And it's at that point, it's at that point that the mighty Davidic monarchy is born. It's in complete surrender of a life to God. Hannah's story is of giving birth to a future that no one could anticipate. She named her son Samuel, which means, I asked of the Lord. And when he was weaned three years later, she did in fact hold true to her promise. She took him back to the temple and presented him where he lived. I tell this story not as a prescription to women who suffer from infertility to just hope and pray. I realize that these stories of scripture of miraculous conceptions sting for those who have prayed to be mothers. But you see, scripture's stories for all of us, they point to a new future from birth that remind us that God's presence is in this mortal life. And it's not an individual conception, but God comes to us in life to show us new life that we didn't think was possible. Hannah's story is also a grand metaphor for Israel's rise from a fragmented, long-suffering tribe that had been bullied by others to become a mighty nation. Once Israel placed its future in God, it became what God created it to be. And Hannah's story is also our story. We know all too well that our dreams require humility. To call upon gifts that others doubt we might possess takes courage. And then, and if our greatest dreams are realized, they too are not our own, but they always belong to God in the future and God's care. As children are graduating from a joyful noise, or Sears, or Nutrier, or college, they are all given into a future. For motherhood demands vulnerability to surrender your body, your very life to God's creative power, and that's how new life emerges. Motherhood demands that this new life that you bear, however much it is loved, is always released into the future. Now believing in the future and waiting for a long-held dream to germinate for some is considered just pure folly. There's wisdom literature that tells us never to wait and hope. That's just stupidity. The philosopher Albert Camus writes, think clearly and do not hope because hopes are the playing field of political and economic deceivers who sell illusions and destroy the real life. Contrasted with that cynicism are the stories of Hannah and all the others in our history, including the Reverend Kemper, who understand that hope is a divine power for life. Hope is not some kind of delusional optimism that 
When life swamps us with realities, we don't want to face that that's not true. No, hope stands with us. Hope stands with us and knows that people will die and leave us. Businesses can crumble and colleges will reject a promising scholar. So through it all, hope remains a choice. We decide to believe that God is with us, walking with us into a future that only God knows. But we trust that the same creator who threw stars in the sky, those that hold each heavenly body in an orbit by being in relationship with one another, is the same God who planted deep within us a seed and remains within us a relationship so that we can bring about new life with God. This same creator chose to enter our lives to be born of a woman. And Jesus walked the hard road, endured a savage death, and rose to proclaim that God is a God of hope. In anticipation of this year's Boston Marathon, the Boston Globe published an article about a woman by the name of Mary Schertenlieb. Five years ago, she'd been diagnosed with leukemia that kept her inside. You see, infection and fatigue were too risky at that juncture of her treatment to do what she had always done before, which was stand and cheer on the runners as they were crossing the finish line. That was her tradition, that was her family tradition. At 3 p.m. that day of the marathon, her building shook with a force as though it was falling. Gathering her two sons, Shirton Lieb took, and her husband took their two sons downstairs. And when they reached the ground floor, they found a, that the glass door to the building had been blown out. And their lobby was now filled with people that had been injured from the bomb blast that killed three and injured hundreds. No one was allowed to return to the building, so she continued her treatment and healing in a hotel. Friends gave them clothes, brought toys for the children, and a nurse where she was a patient brought her medicine when the hospital was in lockdown. Fast forward five years to this year, 2018. Mary is now a three-time cancer survivor, having survived two relapses and endured countless rounds of chemotherapy and finally a bone marrow transplant. While training to run the marathon herself this year, she raised over $35,000 for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where she'd received treatment. Before the race began on that day, her shoes were soaked from the driving rain. Along the route, Shirt and Leap checked into medical tents, but finally in the sub-40 degree weather with blue lips and the potential for hypothermia, she took shelter in a Dunkin' Donuts at mile 15.5. After five hours of running, she decided to stop. Her husband took her home for a hot shower and dinner and rest, but her desire remained strong. At 8 p.m., they returned to that same Dunkin' Donuts to pick up where they left off. Sharing their run on social media, friends gathered to cheer them on, showing up along the race route. It was exhausting, and she finally had to walk. But no matter what, she told herself, I am running down Boylston. And after midnight, as they turned the corner onto Boylston, she could hear the screaming and cheering from friends, race volunteers, and the police officers who had cleared the finish line for her to cross. Mary Schertenlieb's victory is of struggle that's transformed by hope. It's a story of hope that's shared in community. 
On a day when we honor those who gave birth to us, who loved us into being, is the day that we say thank you to them and thank you to God who guided their dreams into reality. Today is a day to also wonder how are we living into their hopes, not just your mom's, but God's. Your dreams and your mom's hopes may not be one and the same. Hannah never imagined her son would launch an empire. She just thought he would live in the temple. But Samuel followed God's call and God's dream. So what unique seeds of God exist inside you that need to shine? What are your hopes? In the face of skeptics or bullies, can Hannah's story inspire you to turn to the one who made you and become a hope realized that has never existed before and cannot exist without you? May it be so. Amen.